My name is Bill Jay, and I'm talking to you from Tempe, Arizona. When I saw a bunch of photographs which I didn't understand, uh, then I would contact the photographer. memory is that it was just a ring at the door, you, you know, and suddenly there was this guy. I came into the room, I looked the guy up and down and said, hmm, this is an interesting character. The reason I accepted your offer to be included here is because I hold the guy in such high regard. I personally think he's the most interesting writer there's been on photography. He owed a lot of money and um, he just got out of everything. He escaped. He was a lone voice in America. He was a beacon of hope, really. He was an evangelist. Bill was a catalyst for all of us. He was the flame that started it all. The meaning of that is unintelligible, and so it should be. My name is Grant Scott, and this is In Search of Bill J. Well, welcome back to The Shed, and it's part two of the album story. It's still 1970, 1971. It's that beginning of a decade, but it's still filled with fire. But uh, things are going wrong, as you would know if you listened to episode five. The reason why Album Magazine only achieved 12 issues is very straightforward. Bill spent all of the money on the first issue. He then wouldn't accept any advertising in the magazine, so there was no advertising revenue. His hope was that the magazine would exist on a subscriber base. In a sense, taking a little bit of knowledge he'd gained, perhaps, from publishing from Coup Press and at Creative Camera. Either way, Bill wasn't going to bend in his beliefs. He wanted it to be on expensive paper, printed beautifully, as I say, no advertising, and he didn't have any money to keep it going really after issue one. His hope was that things would get better, people would subscribe, and that the magazine would be successful. That's my take on it all these years after the event. Let's listen to Bill, shall we? I mean, then I made a sort of really terrible business decision, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, we produced the first issue that I was so sure that once photographers all over the world saw the first issue, they would subscribe to it. So I spent half of Tristram's money on the first issue. Just printing loads of copies, mailing them. We got free mailing lists from the George Eastman House, from the Museum of Modern Art, you know, from several other people. And I mailed everybody a free copy and said, subscribe. And then I sat back and I expected the next mail to be full of subscriptions. And of course it wasn't. You know, people rightly were waiting to see whether the magazine was going to last. Bill's sense of optimism, perhaps misplaced optimism, is very clear here to see who else would create a magazine and publish a magazine with such a business plan. 
I can't imagine many today doing that. Anyway, we got wonderful letters, you know, from wonderful letters from people all over the world, but very few checks. And so now we had to sort of produce new, more issues, you know, with only half the money left, which was really hard. So, you know, you did anything that it took, you know, to earn some money. I'd lecture all over Britain to women's institutes and Boy Scout groups and camera clubs and everybody would have me, you know. Bill never seemed to see the magazine as a source of income, whether it was creative camera or album. And here he is again, returning to that idea of going out around the country and preaching his message in return for small amounts of money. Anyway, as the months went by, it was evident that if we could keep going long enough, it would pay for itself. It was going to be successful. Because, you know, as the months went by, more and more people were subscribing. So just at the time when it looked as though we were going to break even, um, we had to give three months printing bill, pay three months printing bills. And uh, that broke us, you know, so we went out of business. The end of album was a pretty straightforward business, really. It was bad business. Tristram wasn't that interested in the business side of the magazine, and Bill wasn't any good at it. A combination of enthusiasm, energy and belief weren't enough to keep the magazine going. Issue 12 may have been the last issue printed, but Bill was still positive even at that point, and he wrote a letter to the subscribers saying, I sincerely apologise for the unfortunate delay between this issue of album and the last. The magazine has been through a disturbing period of business reorganisation, which has led to rumour of its imminent collapse. I am delighted to say that this rumour is far from the truth. In fact, Album is in a much happier and healthier state than it has ever been in its short but influential life. I am looking forward to a period of uninterrupted publication of a better magazine. From issue 13, album has been redesigned and planned so that each issue is a more authoritative and indeed provocative journal. It will still have the same uncompromising attitude to good photography with the same high quality, but each issue will be more of a self-contained booklet than a magazine. This will make album an even more valuable distillation of the best in international photography, both past and present. I enclose a subscription form. Please complete it for a subscription renewal. We run out of back numbers very quickly and filling in the form will ensure that you do not miss any issue. Also, it is vitally important that we achieve an increase in the number of subscribers. If you care at all about fine photography and its promotion through album, please urge your friends, colleagues and acquaintances to subscribe to the journal. I am most grateful to you for your support and encouragement in the past. I do hope we can count on your continued support. If you have any comment, criticism or suggestion, please do not hesitate to contact me. With very best wishes, Bill J, Editor. (laughs) 
shortly after Bill's letter was received by subscribers, a second letter was sent out, this time from Bill and Tristram to subscribers and contributors. It said this... We owe you a letter of explanation and apology. It was necessary to freeze publication of album when our printers could not continue to extend our credit, which meant that the money we had assumed would pay for future issues was immediately swallowed to pay for past issues. Since that time, we have made every effort to continue the magazine by looking for loans and fresh sources of capital. This has been extremely time-consuming. After following one trail of money and finding it to be a cul-de-sac, we have had to start again on a fresh track. So far, our efforts have not been successful, but hopeful. We always felt that next week we would have more to tell you, and so week followed week. We have been advised that the obvious solution is to place the company in liquidation and start anew. But we feel that we cannot let down our subscribers in this manner. We have a moral obligation to honour the trust placed in album by so many of you. We intended and still intend that all possible solutions to album's problems will be fully explored before we consider the magazine is dead. Immediately, the future of the magazine seemed uncertain. We ceased to bank any more money, so many of you will find that your cheques have not been cleared at your banks. We held the cheques in the hope that the magazine would soon be restored and restarted, and only then did we feel that we could take your subscription. As it is, these cheques are now being returned to you, uncashed. Many of you submitted your portfolios for possible publication in album. Those that we intended to publish have been held, once again hoping that they would be used to provide the contents of future issues. All these prints are held safely by us. With your permission, they will remain here until we can again publish the magazine. If you must have the prints returned to you, it would be an enormous help if you could send the appropriate, approximate cost of postage. There is not much more we can say, except that we deeply regret the demise of our magazine, and we know from your letters that many of you should share our feelings. We are doing our best to regenerate album. Please be patient. With warm regards, Bill J. Tristram Powell for Album Photographic Limited. Album was published between February 1970 and January 1971. But for those of you that haven't either seen a copy or held a copy in your hand or be aware of it, who were the photographers that were included in this magazine? Why was it considered to be so important? Well, let me just give you a little idea as to who was included. Photographers such as Benjamin Stone, Bill Brandt, Roger Merton, Eugene Smith, David Hearn, Paddy Summerfield, Eugene Agay, Tony Ray Jones, Thurston Hopkins, Lewis Hine, Les Crims, Andrew Lanyon, Ernst Holzer, Imogen Cunningham, Emmett Gowan, Bernice Abbott, Dwayne Michaels, David Hockney, Brassi, Edward Weston, George Roger, John Claridge, Manuel Alvarez Bravo, Satayat Ray, Charles Harbert, John Thompson, Naomi Savage, Anne Nogle, Patrick Ward, Don McCullen, Alan A. Dutton, 
Edouard Boubet and Elia Erwitt, who took the photograph for the very last issue of the magazine. That's a pretty amazing collection of photographers across just 12 issues. You can see why it was important at the time. It was bringing together the historical greats with the contemporary makers who were pushing contemporary photography forward. It was a very clean magazine. It wasn't trying to sell you anything, perhaps other than an idea. It wasn't trying to tell you how to do things. It was showing you why to do things and putting questions, perhaps much more often than answers. In those 12 short issues, those 12 books, in effect, they were perfect bound. They didn't contain advertising. They didn't really have any cover lines to them either. They were minimal, but maximum in their impact. So far in this episode, you've heard a lot from me and you've heard a lot from Bill. Now let's hear from Sue Davis, who met Bill in 1969 at the Institute of Contemporary Arts, where she was working as a secretary, before she then went on in 1971 to establish the Photographer's Gallery in London. What did she think of Bill? Bill was an enormous influence in everything that happened in photography. In, in the early 70s. He had all sorts of ideas. And when we did, I, I was working at the ICA, and when we did that show, uh, The Woman, when we did small shows around them, we did Don McCullen, Enzo um, uh, Ragazzini, Tony Ray Jones, and Van Derenkirk was over in England at St. Martin's doing some lecturing or something. And Bill got him to do other lectures in the tops of pubs and places like that where everybody interested in photography would go and listen to this guy. And so there was a great stirring of doing something. But in the meanwhile also, he, was, he went to the ICA and he, he collected slides from all sorts of photographers so that students could go and look at them. Um, and when I started a gallery uh, a year or so later, I, I took up with this and did it too, which was good for students. But he had really started that. As I said previously, the years 1970 to 71 were busy for Bill, but they were also busy for photography in the UK. And it's really interesting there to hear from Sue, although she's jumped our story forward a little bit by placing Bill at the ICA, the influence he had on her in the creation of the Photographer's Gallery. The importance of Bill in this has, I think, been written out of their history and actually out of UK photography history. But let's hear a little bit more from Sue, shall we? But I think he absolutely adored photography and he, he, wanted, he wanted stuff to happen quickly. A photographic crusade. I mean, he, that's what really turned him on. He got so into it and so determined that we should all understand how important this was. But, it, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how he expected it to work out. He just thought everybody would suddenly realize that the Americans were doing this and had been doing it for years and we'd had, we'd had photographs in MoMA for ages and so on and so forth, but nobody seemed to pay that much attention here. 
I think it's so interesting to get this context from Sue. Not only are we finding out about the drive that Bill had, but we're also getting a sense from somebody who actually did make things work financially, how somebody who had the passion but didn't have the business acumen was failing at the time. Sue's briefly mentioned how she met Bill at the ICA and how Bill moved there to set up the Photo Study Centre. We'll be dealing with that in more detail in a future episode, but why don't we just hear from Bill now explaining how that happened and in typical Bill fashion, how it went wrong very quickly. I was now the Director of Photography at the Institute of Contemporary Arts, you know, having knocked on the door of Lord Goodman's and said, you know, Institute of Contemporary Arts has no photography. You know, that's ludicrous. It's the most important contemporary art of its time. You know, and then he suddenly over the phone appoints me as the new director. And they gave me a storeroom. We cleared all that out. Had a group of young photographers around me, you know, all volunteers. Cleaned out this room, made benches, uh, begged equipment, and and had a photographic study center at the Institute of Contemporary Arts. By now, we were taking over like three quarters of the exhibition space and giving, uh, um, putting on evening events for photographers. And they would bus in from all over England. So we would pack the place. And of course, they hated that. They'd start uh, having directors' meetings and not including me because they hated the other directors, hated the idea that photography was becoming so prominent. Mm -hmm. So they'd hold these meetings, and I'd have to find out, you know, from friends who were on the staff. Hey, Bill, you know, having a director's meeting, you know, and I said, well, I haven't invited. So I'd have to sort of gate crash the sort of meetings and things like that. But in the end, the writing's on the wall. I mean, they sort of kicked me out of there as well. 1970 and 71 have been incredible years for Bill, but it's probably no surprise that he was upsetting everybody. He'd been doing it in Album magazine for 12 issues. We're fighting in Album. I mean, we attacked every institute, we attacked educational establishments, we're not teaching good photography but just doing sort of professional stuff we attacked the Royal Photographic Society for being a bunch of old fogies you know I organized meetings there for young photographers and uh, and that got me into a lot of trouble so I was thrown out of there as well I was thrown out of everywhere you know just because we were sort of considered radical hippies you know and uh, the Institute of Contemporary Arts just couldn't stand you know the amount of attention that photography was getting Although we know Bill's time at the Photo Study Centre at the ICA is short-lived, in the next episode, we will be hearing from the people who visited and getting an outsider's perspective of what was one of the most important, influential and innovative spaces ever created to teach, study and learn about photography. This has been a United Nations of Photography production. All music was composed and played by Laura Ritchie. If you'd like to find out more about the film Do Not Bend, The Photographic Life of Bill J, visit www.donotbendfilm.com.